you got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. About 10 years after he'd written to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians from his house arrest prison quarters in Rome. And shortly thereafter, he followed it up with a letter to the church in Ephesus. At the end of his second missionary journey, God had used Paul to plant that church in Ephesus. And then a year later, Paul actually moved to Ephesus and he spent three years there preaching and teaching before moving on and setting in Timothy as their pastor. Paul had a very deliberate investment of himself in the church in Ephesus. And as a result, in Acts 19, it says something amazing. It says, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You talk about a powerful three-year ministry. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord that Paul preached there for three years in Ephesus. He personally knew and loved the people in that fellowship. In this letter to them, he included many foundational Christian doctrines and many practical principles for living out faith in Jesus. However, somewhat surprisingly, this letter doesn't include the localized, personalized call-outs to individuals in Ephesus that were so common in many of the other letters that Paul wrote. But that's probably because when Paul had Titius, who had come to visit Paul in Rome from Ephesus, when he had Titius personally take this letter back to Ephesus, Paul's hope and intention was that this letter would be widely circulated beyond Ephesus from church to church throughout the whole region. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passion says, to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus. We were singing about that this morning. The Amplified says, to the saints, the consecrated and set apart ones who are also faithful and loyal and steadfast in Christ Jesus. The word Paul used here for the faithful, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful. That's that same word I was talking about last week. It's be believing, to the be believing. And so as it was to the Colossians, as well as to every hearer and reader since, this was both a complimentary reminder as well as an ongoing challenge to keep actively living out a be believing faith in Jesus. And once again, Paul included another fresh release of God's grace and peace. Now, this wasn't just his favorite salutation. God's grace and peace are what makes be-believing faith possible. Let me read it over you from the Passion. And if they do, just receive it for yourself. May God himself, the heavenly Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart his peace that manifests as total well-being into your life. We've been wound up singing, worshiping, Early in the message, your brain's still rolling. Why don't you just close your eyes and let me read that over you one more time and receive it, receive it into your spirit. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart his peace that manifests as total well-being into your life. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do it in us, Lord. Paul's original letter, the next 12 verses are one long run-on sentence in the Greek. Some refer to it as a doxology. We're headed for Paul's opening prayer for the Ephesians, but as we read our way through these setup verses, I'm gonna add a little color commentary. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Repeat this after me. I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now let's make it corporate. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In and of itself, this one truth should inspire each of us to regularly be praying for the things of heaven to invade our daily lives here on earth. There's no reason to just wait for all of that when our life is finished here. The word says over and over again, Jesus encourages us even to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this drawing down of things that God has stored up there. There's so many things that he has for us. We don't have to wait till that side to get. If we have the faith, we can take hold of it now and we can bring it into our life. The point is consistent with Paul's words to the Colossians, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints when we die. No, who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints now. When we live our lives filled with joyfully giving thanks to the Father, that's what positions our hearts to make draws upon as well as to live from and to live out of our inheritance now. And remember, qualified to share, that part means that Although we're all still very much a work in progress, we are all still supposed to be active participants and not just spectators. Don't let yourself get satisfied saying, well, that person's getting blessed and that person, that's good for them, but it won't happen. No, we are all to be participants. We're not spectators watching this. We're involved in this. We are qualified to share in our inheritance now all across the room, upstairs, downstairs, watching online. No exceptions, no exceptions. Starting immediately after we surrender the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's an inexhaustible, infinite storehouse of riches. And we've been given access to it. And all that the Father has blessed us with is so everyday practical. God is interested in way more than just the things that we think about as spiritual. His blessing, established over our lives, surrounds us with his favor as with a shield. He protects us, even when we don't know we need protecting. He opens doors for us. We could never open on our own or by ourselves. He makes a way for us, even in places where there seems to be no way. And another part of the Father's blessed us also includes the good works he prepares in advance for us to do with him every single day. What an awesome God we serve. Why does God do all that for us? Because he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Think about that. God chose us and determined to make us his own children through the redeeming work of Jesus before any of us ever existed. Our chosenness originated in the timeless mind of God. It has always been his plan A. Psalm 139, 16 says, For uh, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me 
were written in your book before one of them came to be. He chose us. It means he selected us. He singled us out. I don't know if you remember those days from elementary school when they put everybody in line and start picking teams. Or maybe it was high school or junior high or whatever. Uh, I was still four foot 11 when I got out of uh, ninth grade. So when it came to picking guys for basketball, I was not usually one of the first one picked, even though I had a little bit of game for a four foot 11 guy. But I waited it out and waited my turn. This word he chose us means God said, I want you and 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 you to every single one of us. We were talking a couple weeks ago. How would, how would he say it if he's a Texan? I want all y'all. That's how he'd say it. I want all y'all. That's God's heart. That's what he said. He chose us. For what purpose? Now get ready. It's going to blow your mind. This is what he chose us for. To be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. We really need the eyes of our heart open to see what God sees. Most of us tend to be our own worst critics. We're so familiar with our own mistakes and our failures. And because of that, we can easily dismiss as impossible the idea of ourselves being holy and blameless in God's eyes. One day Jesus himself said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Second Corinthians 5 said, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, look, look, see, the new has come. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In love, in perfect agape love that drives out fear, God predestined us to be adopted, not just to be beneficiaries of his love, but also to be full legal heirs with all the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities to go with being a child of the King of Kings. Unfortunately, throughout church history and into this very day, the predestined part has created a theological mess because this word can mean to limit in advance and figuratively to predetermine. Some teach and believe God predetermines who will and won't be saved. And I just want to say that is wrong. That's messed up. That's just so messed up. It's not consistent at all with how God has revealed himself or treated people throughout the Bible. And it doesn't line up with what we were just talking about. He chose us. He chose us before the creation of the world. God is more than willing to adopt all of us. But he never forces that on us. God's clearly revealed heart is for every single person to choose to give our full love and our lives to him. But in his sovereignty, God has chosen to leave that choice to each of us this morning. You heard Steve's testimony. I mean, two weeks ago, Steve couldn't even make a sentence. And this morning, he was testifying before a whole group of people. You talk about the power of God. But it's God changing his life. What I want to say, probably this morning, most of the people in this room have already given your life to Christ. But if you found your way into this room this morning and you haven't made that decision yet, you're still living by your ways rather than his ways. I mean, God is inviting you again and again and again. What else does he have to show you this morning? The testimonies that have been spoken, the words that were spoken, the songs that we've sung this morning, he's inviting you to give yourself to him. And you either have or you haven't. There's no middle ground. It's like, well, I'm trying. Well, then you're not. Then you're not. We either have surrendered the control of our lives to him or we're not. He's either the Lord of our lives or he's not. There's no middle ground. 
And so this morning, I just, again, I want to appeal to you. If you are here this morning and you've never given up the control of life, you're still making your own decisions. You're doing what seems best to you. You're doing it your way. That's a dead end. That's a dead end. That ain't going to work. It made a good Frank Sinatra song, but that's not the way to live life. That's not to live life. His way is better. We sang about it this morning. And to get it on his way, it starts with, I surrender all. And, it, and, it, and it's not magic words. It's not, it doesn't have to have this long, perfect prayer. It's just, okay, I give up, God. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to live for you the rest of my days. Just something like that. It's not about the actual words as much as the position of our heart. And God understands that. And if you've never done that this morning, I invite you even right now where you're sitting, you can do that. If you, if you want somebody to pray with you at the end of the service, we would love, love, love to pray with you about that. Today's your day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are. I'm not trying for to be weird about that, but none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You got today. You're here right now. And the scripture says, if you hear the Lord calling you, that thing inside you like, I need to do it, I need to do it, but I don't know, I'm afraid. Step on a cross. Step on a cross and give yourself to the Lord today. And then don't look back. And then don't look back. Digging a little deeper in this word predestined, it comes from the combination of two words. The word for in front of, prior, or superior to, and the word for to mark out or horizon. So I think a better way to think about predestined would be defined it this way, superior to my horizon. Superior to my horizon, which got me thinking about something I heard Kim Clement declare uh, about God many, many times. He's seen us in the future, and we look much better than we do right now. Now, when Kim would do that, the band would start playing, boom, 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 boom. He's seen us in the future, and we look much better than we do right now. I mean, the whole room would start jumping, and we'd get it. Y'all are just calmly taking it this morning. Listen, listen. What God has seen as us is far superior to what we've seen in ourselves. It's far superior to our horizon. And here's what's amazing about God. He treats us right now like we're already there. See, he's the ultimate good parent. And he knows that if he's just treating us where we're living right now, we stay stuck in that place. But he treats us as he sees us in the future because as he treats us that way, it calls us into that level of maturity, calls us out of the place that we are and draws us into that which he sees inside of us. In love, God consistently treats us better than we are right now because he wants us to occupy that place. Also in love, God woos us and works with us and he draws us up into every kind of maturity, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. He's all in invested in us becoming the fullest expression of who he's created us to be so that we can fully occupy the space that's ours because we've been adopted through Jesus Christ in accordance with God's pleasure and will. God's good pleasure and will and he is good. He's good. God's good pleasure and will is to work in and through every part of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as he does that, we can become more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And that conforming work is accomplished most effectively and efficiently when we choose to humble ourselves and we respond to God's predestined call on our lives. A footnote in the New Living Translation Life Application Bible says, God emphasized, uh, Paul emphasized that God chose us to make the point that salvation depends totally on God. 
In his mercy, God saved us according to his plan. We're not saved because we deserve it. We're saved because God freely offers this salvation to us. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, we have redemption, forgiveness, and the riches of God's grace. In and of themselves, each of those is priceless. With his own blood, Jesus purchased our redemption. And by his atoning work, we have always welcome access into the presence of God. And listen to me. We had always present access, always open, always welcome access into the presence of God before we ever gave our lives to Christ or we wouldn't have ever given our lives to Christ. You see, before we ever knew him, while we were still sinners, he died for us and he made the way so that we can come to God. And if we had that access to God before we got saved, why in the world are we not taking advantage now that we are? It never honors the Lord to come slinking into his presence. Is it okay for me to be here? I've kind of messed up. No, I paid for that. I paid for that. Yes, you're welcome. The quicker you come, the better. If you can get it sorted out and figured out without me, that's messed up. I'm the Lord. I'm the answer. I'm the only way out. Come to me. Come to me. The way is open. Always welcome access into the presence of God. This forgiveness is literally the word freedom. Makes me think the line from Braveheart. Freedom! That's what it means. It means full pardon. In his great love for us, God has removed our sins from us. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west. And as part of the new covenant, which God articulated in Jeremiah 31, and the writer of Hebrews repeated, it would have been good enough if this just been the Bible once, but it's in there twice. The Lord declared, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Whew. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When God forgives us, he washes us white as snow and he restores our innocence and our purity. Now listen, all of us have a past. We've all got things that we wish hadn't happened or wish we hadn't done. And when we come to God and we surrender our lives to him, he washes us and makes us clean. The tricky part is the very same things that stumbled us before tend to stumble us all the way out. The devil's not created, but he doesn't have to be because the same things keep working against us, right? So we come to God, we confess our sins. He washes us, cleanses us, restores us, and, and creates an innocence. If you still got some stuff that's lingering from your past, own it. Repent and ask God to forgive you. Quit just feeling sorry for yourself or blaming somebody else or taking, own it. This is still messing with me, God. I've given my life to you, but this is still messing with me. I repent of my, whatever part I had to play in it, my response to it, my reaction to it, that I've allowed it to keep festering in my life. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me. Restore my innocence. And he will. He will. He's already paid for that with his blood. It's already covered, already bought, already secured. Now, here's what, what's interesting. So you do all that. It's like, whew, that feels so good. I'm free. About six months. And then you walk back into it again. Same crazy thing. And you go to God. 
And you say, oh God, oh God, I did it again. And God said, what, did what? We know that thing I always do. Uh, no, what are you talking about? You know, no, I don't. I have chosen to forgive your sins and remember it no more. We need that kind of memory about ourselves. Give it to the Lord, let him have it, and be done with it. All of this is in accordance with the riches of God's grace. All of this is part of the abundance that comes from walking in the empowering, experiential presence of God that he chooses not to just dole out little by little, but he chooses to lavish on us day after day after day after day. The empowering presence of God, the experiential presence of God, the grace of God lavished on us day after day after day. The riches of God's grace are super abundant in quantity and quality. God's grace is given to us superfluously, but never wasted and never without reason or purpose. God knows better than we do what we need, when we need it, how much we can handle and how much we can embrace, which is where the with all wisdom and understanding part comes into play. And that's a nice tie back to Paul's opening prayer to the Colossians to be filled with the spiritual wisdom and comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, as well as with the understanding and discernment that comes from us having a growing base of experiential knowledge of God's will. And for the record, redemption and forgiveness are not meant to be just one time at salvation experience. Until Jesus comes back, redemption and forgiveness will be our way of life as we walk out every minute of every day with an increasing ongoing awareness of God's present tense involvement in our lives. It's not like we give our life to God and he says, okay, see you in heaven. No, we give our life to Christ. He is with us. He's right in the middle of our lives every day. Redemption and forgiveness are integral parts of the mystery of God's will that keeps unfolding to us as a discovery process. And God's good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, is to keep inviting us deeper and deeper into an active, loving, and trusting relationship with him. We are living in the day of all things in heaven and on earth being brought together under Jesus Christ. And the fulfillment of all things is getting closer and closer every day. So the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Verse 11, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now imagine where I started a few minutes ago, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all the way uh, to the redemption of those who are God's purpose, uh, God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's one sentence. Try reading that without taking a breath, just reading all that. And about the time you got to where I was at today, you said, didn't, didn't he say something about the chosen and predestined thing already? Yes, he did. He already said something about that. But then Paul added the part about those who hope in Christ being both for the praise of his glory and to the praise of his glory. When we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we become living testimonies of what God can do with the most unlikely raw materials. In his eyes, we are a trophy of his grace. We're his workmanship. 
And by his grace, we each have the opportunity to live out every one of our days for his namesake and his glory with the indwelling help and presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Right before he released his opening prayer for them, Paul noted the encouragement he was receiving while he was under house arrest in Rome because of the Ephesian believers' faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. In the message, it says, the solid trust you have in the master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all Christians. Paul had already commended them for being be believers. And here he acknowledged just the faith, the simple faith, the persuasion, the credence, the conviction to live with a reliance on Jesus for their salvation. But their faith was also naturally spilling over into loving actions. Remember this from Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Or as it says in the Amplified, in Christ Jesus, only faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love counts for anything. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And that's again the word experientially know him. I keep asking, as we get to this opening prayer, this was not just a one and done opening prayer for Paul, nor should it be for us. There is something to be said about being consistent, persistent, and patient in prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, we know we have what we've asked of him. In John 14, Jesus said, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. Now listen, those two verses are not a promise that God will be our spiritual personal vending machine. That's not what that, that's not what that means. Instead, Jesus was calling us to ask in his name because that helps us defer to him and to the power of his authority. And then as we intentionally align our request with his will, we can pray with confidence and we can live with an expectancy that God is gonna answer that prayer. Now again, I remind you to this point, I found at least three answers, yes, no, and wait. Yes, no, and wait. We talked about that a little bit this morning. And again, I wanna remind you of this, in the kingdom, timing is everything. God is perfect in the timing. He makes everything beautiful in its time. That's his promise. Asking the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, to give. You talk about praying right into the Father's wheelhouse. For God so loved the world, he gave. God is the ultimate giver, which is why he so loves for us to be cheerful givers. Because when we are, we look like him. God is also a very creative giver. Sometimes, Sometimes he gives in visual ways. He, he shows us something. He reveals something that we see in the natural or in our spirit or in our mind's eye. Sometimes he gives us in verbal ways. He, he tells us something or he gives us an impression, a thought or an idea. Sometimes he gives in very practical ways. He releases timely wisdom and resources, talent or skill that we need for a task at hand. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. When, when asking for wisdom and revelation, I have found that it's best, it's best to keep our options open. Like I just shared, God gives in a variety of ways. So don't get stuck in tunnel vision. 
Don't get stuck with just the familiar, comfortable, preferred ways. Stop looking for God through the little peephole in your door and open up the whole door. Open up the whole door to see what God is up to. It's so important not to make God too small because it seems to me that many times God will not overrule our preconceived notions. So if we start thinking, he may heal this person, but I don't think he will for me. Well, you might not see it. Or if you think, well, he might do this for that person, but I don't think he will. Well, he might not. It's like, well, okay, if that's what you want to think about me, okay, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily make you change your mind. I'll relate to you the way you will allow me to relate to you. I'll meet you in the place you allow me to meet you. At the same time, another thing I've found about God pretty consistently is because he loves us so much and he wants the very best for us, he will often offend our mind to reveal our heart. He does something out of our comfort zone. We go, what the heck was that? What in the world was that? To show something that's hidden inside our heart that, oh, that's not right thinking about God. I've been making him too small or not good enough or not kind enough or not loving enough. He'll offend our mind to reveal our hearts. That's that shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. That's the God that we serve. The spirit, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit is capital S. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth and who Jesus referred to as our ever-present comforter, counselor, teacher, and encourager. The Holy Spirit is the conduit that connects us to the fresh wisdom and revelation we need. In Greek, the word Paul used was pneuma, which can commonly be used throughout the New Testament for Holy Spirit. And it can mean a breath, a blast, or a breeze. And the Holy Spirit shows up in any and all those ways and more. When Jesus showed up in the upper room after his resurrection, he breathed on his disciples. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit breath is a personal encounter that we feel. It quickens something inside of us. And sometimes, sometimes that breath comes from the outside in. And sometimes that breath comes from the inside out. Now, a Holy Spirit blast, that tends to be more intense. It's a quick, powerful encounter. Many, many years ago, uh, I mean, I've experienced the Holy Spirit blast many times. When the Holy Spirit, you get hit with the Holy Spirit blast, a lot of times you can't keep standing up. I mean, you just can't. The presence is too strong. Many years ago, we were in a meeting, and we were meeting every night for a month, and we'd get there at 7, and we'd just stay till whenever, and the presence of the Lord was so awesome. You couldn't even stand up straight in the room. Was, we were going to do it for two weeks, and then thought, this is too good. We can't stop. We did it for two more. After two weeks, we had, after four weeks, we had to stop because we had the rest of our lives to live. We all had kids and jobs and different things like that. And we were getting there at seven and being there till two or three or four in the morning and then getting up doing our job and come back the next day. But I'm telling you, the presence of the Lord was so amazing. But I got blasted several times during that uh, season and several times since. One time I was sitting at the piano and I'd been playing piano and just leading worship for about an hour and a half. And then a Holy Spirit blast came, literally knocked me right off the piano bench and I just laid into the piano for the next couple hours. There is a, when, the, when the Holy Spirit hits us with a blast, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. Signs and wonders usually accompany it. Tongues of fire, tongues, different things like that that happen. Or as John Wimber used to like to say, signs that make us wonder, what in the world was that? In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. A Holy Spirit breeze can be like that. Holy Spirit breeze is often like a gentle whisper. And most of the time, the Holy Spirit is the quietest voice in our heads. There's so much value in learning to recognize his voice. I found sometimes when a Holy Spirit breeze comes 
All of a sudden, I got goosebumps all over. It's like, whew, where'd those come from? And it's not just like sitting at church service. Like you watch me something on TV. You can be listening to something. You can be reading something. All of a sudden, whew, there it is. It's like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, instead of just thinking, well, that's weird. Why did I get those goosebumps? I didn't know I was cold. No, you're not cold. That's the Holy Spirit breeze. Another way when the Holy Spirit breeze happens, all of a sudden, you just tear up and you, you can't stop crying. You, you, don't know, you don't know why you're still, you don't know why you're crying. It's just the sweetness of the presence of the Lord. I, I think he prefers the breath and the breeze, and the breeze. I think he prefers those methods. And what's important for us is to, uh, to, to, to experience these beautiful things in the midst of a busy, busy world. We've got to keep cultivating a sensitivity and a recognition of them. Instead of just thinking, well, that was strange, or I wonder what that was, and just forgetting about it. Because when we start, when we miss the way the Holy Spirit is in our lives every day, and we don't recognize it, and we don't thank him for it, a little callous starts developing in our heart. And the more calluses we get in our heart, then we have to get blasted in order to even recognize him, which is not the normal way that he deals with us. And he'd rather just it be a breeze or a breath. There's a real danger in getting hard-hearted. So I encourage us in these moments when you feel that, you might even know what it is. When you just get those goosebumps, just say, thank you, Lord. You don't even have to know what you're thanking him for. Just say, thank you, Lord. That's you. It's giving him the recognition. It's giving him the credit. When all of a sudden you're well up and you just got tears, or all of a sudden you're in a place and you just can't stop praying for somebody, you don't even know why. That's again, a holy, just thank him. Because when we match that thanksgiving with those experiences, it keeps our hearts soft and quickly submitted. I'll also say, if you get an impression after one of those things, do it as quick as you can. Don't think, well, that was weird. That felt like I was supposed to go do that, but ah, that couldn't be me. That's that, that probably just me. No, no, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. Then on the other side, you'll figure out whether that was you or God. But the mistake we make a lot of times is the spirit tells us something, our mind says, ah. And our heart's saying, go, 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 go. Go with your heart and watch and see what happens on the other side. The spirit of wisdom, it's the word Sophia. It means practical skill and acumen. The wisdom is a direct connect to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. How wise is Jesus? Well, listen to Colossians 1. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That's the access to the wisdom that we have. And as we look for and we find Jesus right in the middle of our everyday lives, that kind of wisdom actually leads us to join him in what he's doing. First Peter 1, it says, you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, just by itself, getting access to divine wisdom is a major win. But God, through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, God loves to connect that wisdom to the take the lid off disclosure and manifestation revelation. God surrounds us with nuggets of revelation everywhere in creation. And these aha moments are just waiting for people like us to find them. Because God knows better than we do how good the discovery process is for our maturity, finding revelation can sometimes be like being on a divine Easter egg hunt. Now, we've done Easter egg hunts with our five that we had, and now we got the grandkids, and the California grandkids are older, and all the others are uh, four and under. So when the four and unders are at our house for Easter, we hide the eggs differently than we do when the California kids are at our house, Right? Right, so when the, the little ones are there, you just, I mean, you, you put an egg here and you put an egg, I mean, you just, you just look in the yard and you see them everywhere. You can see what they're supposed to find, right? But when the older kid's there, we don't do it that way. Why? Because that's no fun. 
So what do you do? You hide them. You place them in different places. So you've got some wisdom and revelation you're looking for for God. And it's not like it's just not right out there in the open. And you're going, God. And he's saying, take it as a compliment. You're a little more mature than you think you are. I'm not putting them out there just right in the wide open space because you've got more inside of you. You've got something more inside of you. And it's good for you to have to dig and look and search it out. Our level of maturity equips us to stay engaged with all the effort and work that goes into digging and searching for revelation rather than just expecting divine handouts all the time. Our level of maturity grows with the spiritual discipline to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And here's what happens as we keep asking and seeking and knocking. That affects our character and it allows our character to improve and grow to match the levels of anointing that God wants us to walk in. Paul had a specific reason for asking the Father to give the spirit of wisdom revelation so that we may experientially know God better. The Amplified says the spirit of wisdom revelation deepens our intimate knowledge of God. The literal definition of this word, full disclosure and acknowledgement. In other words, it's the ability to know, recognize and acknowledge God's heart and God's ways in real time because we have an increasing history of experiencing them. Depending on how many experiences we've had and how much experience we've gained, because I, I don't know if this is you, but for me, there's a lot of experiences that I've had with God, and the first time I had them, they went right by me. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years, face to face with Jesus. Every day he was teaching, telling them, modeling, showing them things. And you know, most of what Jesus said to them went right by him. If that could happen to them, that happens to us probably pretty frequently. So we can have experiences but not get the benefit from them because it goes right by us. But depending on how many experiences we've had, how much experience we've gained, we may or may not have the vocabulary to explain it all. But what comes from every experience with God is the fruit that proves it. When Cindy and I were engaged in dating, I was in seminary. I was finishing up a seminary degree, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. And uh, we found a little church, James Avenue Baptist Church is what it was called at the time. And we went there on a Sunday night at Christmas time, and the Holy Spirit was in the room. Now, I was the semester away from graduating from seminary. I had no idea who the Holy Spirit was. I just knew whatever was in that room. I'd been in church my whole life. Whatever was in that room on a Sunday night Baptist church service, I had to have some more of that. So we met some people that night who invited us to a home group. And uh, we started going to that home group on Friday night. It'd be another six or eight months before we would actually link in and join with the church after we got married. But we went to the home group every Friday night. And at that home group, uh, we, that was on the southwest side of Fort Worth. And Cindy was living at her parents. I was living at mine on the other side of the uh, Fort Worth area, kind of in the mid-cities, Hershey, Bedford, U.S. area. So it was a 30-minute drive. But on the way home, in the group, these people would talk about the things that God was doing in their lives and what he was doing in their church. And it was just like, I'd never heard anything like that before. I mean, it was just, it was too much. And, and a lot of times I would drive home and in 30 minutes, I was like, I don't even think that's really God. I, and they're just making it up and they're just being emotional or just all these things that I, the resistance, my mind was having a field day resisting all that my heart was like, yes, you need that. But what got me after about six months of it was I still, I still can't figure out. I still can't figure out what all this is about. But whatever these people have, the glow of who they are, the sincerity, the honesty, the way they're loving us and caring for us, and just, I got to have that. I got to have that. Now, pretty Baptist to the core at that point. It took me another year before I got it. But, <laughs> but 
but I stayed the course. And when I got it, those people were the ones right there, the ones that we've been walking with for about a year and a half are the first ones there celebrating with us, praying around us. What I want to say is the more experiences we have, the more vocabulary we can develop and the greater our glow. And be sure of this, there will always be more of God to know and experience for the rest of eternity. And remember, we're all qualified to sharing in that inheritance now. The first sentence of this opening prayer to the Ephesians and every reader in here since is powerful and profound. For many years now, it's been one of my favorite go-tos for myself as well as for others. I sent it to somebody this week. There's a ton of life-altering, life-transforming influence flowing from the first sentence of this opening prayer. But then Paul asked for something else too, and we'll take a closer look at that next weekend. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that it's your heart that we live with the spirit of wisdom and revelation on our lives so that we can get to know you better experientially, not just uh, trivia thoughts and trivia ideas, but know you, know your heart, know your ways, recognize the many brilliant and creative ways you show up in our lives and in the lives of people that are around us. So we say yes to that, Lord. We say yes to that a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We say yes to your grace being lavished on us day after day after day. We say yes to you forgiving us our sins and remembering them no more. Thank you, God. There's none like you. There's none like you. And we thank you for the things that are in your heart for us. Thank you that you've seen us in the future and we look much better than we do right now. Open the eyes of our heart to see us as you see us, that we can walk with you in freedom and in joy. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.